Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. All right, you want to turn with me over to Luke chapter 12? Luke chapter 12, and we're, in, we're going through a series on Luke, and we are in week number 46. And we're going to be looking at Luke 49 through 59 this morning. Has anyone seen the movie End of the Spear about Jim Elliott? Anyone see that movie? Jim Elliott and some other missionaries arrived in Ecuador on February 21, 1952, with the purpose of evangelizing Ecuador's Quechua Indians. His team first stayed in Quito and then moved into the jungle. They took up residence at this, this, this mission station while they're working with the Quechua Indians. And Elliot and his team began preparing to reach the Wadani people. And so Elliot and four other missionaries, Ed McCauley, Roger Udarian, Peter Fleming, and their pilot, Nate Saint, who you may have heard, he's been on Moody and some other things, made contact from their airplane with the Wadani using a loudspeaker in a basket to pass down gifts to them. Then after several months, the men decided to build a base a short distance from the Indian village along the Karari River. There they were approached by one of, the, one of the small group of Wadani and even gave an airplane ride to this curious Wadani, who they called George. Encouraged by these friendly encounters, they began plans to visit the Wadani people. Without knowing that George, who they had met earlier, had lied to the others in his tribe about the missionaries' intentions. Their plans were preempted by an arrival of a large group of about ten Wadani warriors who proceeded then to kill Elliot and his four companions on January 8, 1956. Elliot's body was found downstream along with those of the other men. Jim Elliot said this, Father, make me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road, make me a fork that men must turn one way or another in facing Christ in me. He wanted to bring every man to a fork in the road, a decision about facing Jesus Christ in him. We're going to read this morning from Luke chapter 12. And here Jesus is really laying out for people the truth of the gospel, and the necessity for us to turn to Him. I'm going to read starting in verse 49. And this is Jesus speaking. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Let's pray. Lord, as we 
approach your word this morning. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would give us the gift of understanding. That as we look into your perfect word, God, that you would warm our hearts and give us the gift of faith. That we would be not like those who hear and go about unaffected. But Lord, you would sink your word deep into our hearts. That we would be ones who are deeply changed and transformed. And Lord, this morning we ask you would help us to fix our eyes upon you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in this passage, we see Jesus teaching the people around him. And as he begins to talk and as he's teaching, he starts saying some things that sound maybe a little confusing. I mean, we were just, we were here, you know, on a month ago for Christmas. And as Jesus came into the world, the angels showed up. And what did the angels say to the shepherds that night? They didn't come to say, guess what? Fire and division is on its way. No. What they say? Peace on earth. Goodwill towards men. But in this passage, Jesus is communicating something to his disciples that is so important. It was important for them, but it's also important for us today to understand. Where is Jesus going with this? What is he talking about? I want to backtrack just quickly into the beginning of chapter 12. Really get a glimpse of what Jesus is talking about to give us context for what he's saying. In the beginning of chapter 12, Jesus is warning the disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. In the end, he says, don't worry about man, fear God. Fear the Lord, because he is in ultimate control of your lives. And when you're called to testify about your relationship with God, about your faith in Christ, don't worry. I'll give you the words to say. Don't fear man. Then he goes on to talk about the parable of the rich fool who stored up all the treasure for himself, giving no thought about others or about the Lord. And he's saying, don't be like that fool. Put your trust in the Lord. He is the one who provides. He is the one who cares. He is the one who knows. Then he goes on to say, don't be anxious because God is in sovereign control of all things at all times. God is in control. He knows what we need. And he delights to give his kingdom to his children. Then he goes on, and we learned about this last week. He says, stay dressed and ready for action. There is an urgency with what he's saying to his, to his people. He says, stay dressed and be ready. This isn't something you can just kind of think about for a little bit and maybe come back to later. He's saying, it's time for action. It's time for a decision to be made. Be dressed and ready. But on the flip side of this, it's interesting because in the backdrop of what he's saying, we looked at last week, there's this subtle theme of, of judgment that looms large in the background. In the same way in this passage, there's this understanding of judgment that is coming. He's saying you really need to listen to the things that I'm talking about. Leon Morris writes this, Jesus is saying that God's plan is for salvation that involves judgment, but a judgment that the Messiah will bear for others, not one he will inflict on others. It is not an attractive prospect, but Jesus longs for it to come. 
For only so can the saving work be accomplished. For only so can the saving work be accomplished. There's this reality of judgment that Jesus begins and continues to introduce to us. That he wants us to know about. That he's preparing us for. And in the context of this, he also immediately goes from the judgment to come into the good news of the gospel. Because it is Jesus Christ is the one who bore our, the punishment for our sin upon his body. He stood condemned in our place. He took the judgment that was against us upon his own self so that we could stand forgiven, so that we could receive mercy. So in light of this judgment, we could stand before God with the hope of forgiveness and cleansing and the righteousness that only Jesus Christ offers. And he says this, he says, look, there's a, bapti- there's a baptism to be baptized with that he's going to go through. He's not talking about the water baptism that he went through. He's talking about a baptism of death and resurrection. That the punishment that we deserved was upon him, and it cost him his very life. That he gave his life so that we could be forgiven, so that we could know life, that we could have life, that we could have eternal life. Jesus offers us complete and total forgiveness and redemption. And it's almost as if, in looking at this judgment, Jesus is looking through the lens of the cross. It's this, it's this, this, this idea of the cross, his, his understanding of the cross, where Jesus is heading. We read about this in, in Luke chapter 9. He says, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I'm going to go give my life. This is, this is looming large in Jesus' thinking. He understands that this is going to cost him everything. But he's going there nonetheless to give his life so that we could experience the salvation and forgiveness that we could not earn on our own, but that Jesus Christ freely gives to those who turn to him. And he begins to talk about this division of families. And often here in, in North America, in, in Canada, and in, in the United States, and some other places, when we come to Christ, it's not always this huge separation of families, but some of you have experienced that. Some of you have come home to mom and dad, maybe after a big youth rally or some kind of youth retreat, or come home from college, and you come to your parents and say, Mom and dad, guess what? I gave my life to Jesus Christ this weekend. Something changed, something, something happened inside of me. And instead of being met with, with hugs and high fives and just excitement, there was a look of confusion and maybe even rejection that you experienced. This separation of families, as hard as it is, is happening all over the world today. When I talk with my cousins who are the missionaries in the Philippines, and we ask, we talk about how things are going. Every once in a while, they'll have these big celebrations where they do baptisms. Because baptisms is like this huge thing for them. Because it's really, for them, it's not just this kind of verbal declaration that they belong to Jesus. It's this physical demonstration that they belong to Jesus. And when they get baptized, they know coming home, in that culture, in that context, there is going to be rejection. They know that standing for Christ means that the family that that lives around them are going to necessarily put them out. 
not accept them any longer. And so this is a reality. In the Middle East today, there's still this, people who come home and there's a separation, fear of death. Some of you have experienced the cost of following Christ. The families that have been torn apart. As I look at this, I just I see there there is this cost. There is a cost to following Christ. There is a cost to following after Jesus. When we come to Jesus Christ, we come to Him not as just kind of on a pure level. We come to Jesus Christ and He becomes our Lord, our Savior, our King. We sing about that today. Jesus King, high and lifted up. That means everything else takes a backseat to His purposes for our lives. Everything does. This relationship with Jesus trumps all other relationships, all other priorities, all other passions. We're saved for a purpose. We're redeemed as a people to bring His good news to people who need to know about Him. And this relationship becomes priority number one for us as believers. And this is costly. This week, Michelle woke up really early one morning, and uh, I was awake already. And she had a hard night's sleep, and she says, could you just please rub my back? And I'm like, okay, you know, I just woke up, I rub your back. And so I'm rubbing her back, and I get done, and I'm getting up to to go on my day, and she's like, man, that was kind of weak, you know. I'm like... What do you expect? I just woke up, you know. I just I don't have I'm not at full strength yet, you know. And uh I kinda get indignant. I'm like, seriously, I just rubbed your back. It's like six o'clock in the morning and and you're complaining about it, you know. And I'm like, so I, I go on to her and I'm like, look, this is okay, this is me and my foolishness, all right? Your pastor can be a fool so often. I'm like, look, if you ask someone for five dollars and they open their wallet and they only had three in there and they gave you all three. You wouldn't say, oh, thanks a lot. That wasn't good enough. You'd say, thank you very much. Well, you can imagine how that went over, right? That's me and my, my, my stupidity. Just stupidity. I don't need to say those things. But in my kingdom, people appreciate me. In my kingdom, people bow down to me. And I'm the one getting the back row, Okay. That's what happens in my kingdom. But living for Christ means that those areas of sin in our lives where we want to defend ourselves, where we want to demand our way, where we want things to go our way, we'll do, we'll do whatever it takes to get it, means we lay our lives down for our wives. It means we lay our lives down for the ones Jesus has called us to give our lives to. That's what we do. As believers, because we believe that in doing so, it honors God. It is an act of worship to the Lord. And that we get more, we we receive more of Jesus Christ in those moments. Instead of us rejecting the Lord, saying, God, I'll do things my way. This is how it's going to go. This is how things happen in my kingdom. We take up his kingdom and receive all the blessings of walking with him. And as I read this, I think, glory to God be to God who can redeem and rescue a fool like me who can give us and offer us forgiveness and give us gracious warning and tell us what it means to follow after him that he doesn't leave us on our own 
but gives us the, the path of life to know Him and experience His presence and to be with Him. Even though it comes at a great cost of following the Lord, it may mean the loss of our closest relationships, yet He is the only way. Where are we to go? There is no other life. There is no other truth. He is glorious. He is gracious. He is majestic. And therefore, He comes to us and says, this is the way. This is the way. He is that fork in the road, and He doesn't leave us to try to figure it out ourselves. He points us the way and says, this is the way. And this is what He does in verses 54 to 59. He says, and He said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see a south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you off to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will not... You will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. And Jesus is talking to people and says, Look, when you see the clouds coming off the Mediterranean, you know that there's moisture in those clouds and you know it's going to rain. When you see the wind blowing out of the south, coming out of the desert, you know it's going to get hot. It's pretty obvious. He says, Know the present time. Hear what I'm saying. Listen to the words that I'm saying. Listen to the way I'm teaching you. Listen to the way I'm leading you. Listen to the way that I'm living my life. Watch me. Learn from me. I'm giving you the gift of life, and I'm pointing you in that direction. And there's an opportunity for salvation in your life, and to follow after me. And that way is only through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. It comes at the cost of the cross for him. And then he goes on to talk about a person who's, who's on their way to the judge. And this person knows they're guilty. The assumption is the defendant is guilty. He's gonna have to, he knows he's going to get thrown in prison, pay every last penny. So settle with your accuser before you get there. Don't wait. This is important. This is urgent. Because there's going to come a time when it's too late. He says settle in the same way. One day, we will stand before the judge and give an account for our lives. It is better for us, he's pointing us the way, to make peace with God before that time comes than suffer the consequences for doing things our own way. He is graciously warning us. He is graciously reminding us that this is the way. This is the way of life. Respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. Not just for salvation in your life, but also on a daily basis that we can know Jesus Christ more and more and grow to become more like Him. I'll read that quote from Jim Elliot again. It says, Father, make me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road. Make me a fork. 
that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. Jesus was that crisis man. Jesus was that crisis man. He was that fork in the road. And there's a reality of coming judgment for those who turn their back on God and decide to go their own way. But there's also the reality of salvation. There's also the reality of salvation that Jesus offers and extends to us. This is His mercy to us. This is His grace to us. This is His kindness to us. This is His love being poured out to us. That we can know Jesus and His righteousness. Have you fully surrendered to Jesus? Is your life an evidence of that decision? This week, God got my attention in a, in a powerful way. I haven't been all that excited about Michelle being pregnant with number five. It, it's, it's been honest, to be honest, it's been a bit challenging for me. We're excited at times, sometimes, and there's other times when I am scared to death. And I think, how in the world are we going to do this? How in the world am I going to do this? Michelle can, Michelle's great. She can handle all kinds of stuff with the kids and everything else. I'm not so good. And for the past two months since we've found out she was pregnant, I've been a bit apathetic about it. And I've really just kind of been like, yeah, it's, it's great. I know it's great. You know, like, kind of the typical answer that you should give, right? Yeah, we're excited. But in my heart, there's been a bit of reluctance and a bit of fear and a bit of, I wouldn't say anger, but just, just a disgruntledness because I feel like my what little freedom that I have in my life is being taken away from me. And I can't do the things I want to do. I can't go the place I want to go. I've got all kinds of, I've got more responsibility now. Well, Michelle had a doctor's appointment on Tuesday morning, and at the doctor's appointment, they could not find a heartbeat on the baby. I wasn't with her. I was at Chuck Pals' house. We were having a prayer meeting with the other pastors. And so my, there, she was trying to get a hold of me, but the reception's not real good down there. So she, my brother came in the room. And he said, hey, look, uh, Michelle's trying to get a hold of you. They can't find a heartbeat on the baby, and you need to get up there right away because they're going to schedule an emergency ultrasound to figure out what's going on. And I left immediately, and, and as I'm driving up 394 to go be with Michelle, to get to, so we're going to go to the Hammond Clinic to get the ultrasound, I just, tears begin to fill my eyes. And I begin to earnestly cry out to Jesus, praying in tongues, just calling out to the Lord, just not knowing what to do. And we went into the Hammond Clinic, and she got, within, she, she got right in. They gave her an ultrasound. I, had a, I couldn't go in with her. And um, they found the baby was alive and completely healthy. And she came out, and I'm just sitting there waiting, and she's like, the baby's fine. I was just moving around too much. I couldn't find it. But she had these little pictures of the ultrasound. 
And in one of the pictures, it had the baby with with its arm extended out and it looked like it was waving. It just you could see the little arm and you could see the hand and you could see little fingers on this ultrasound. And it just broke my heart. Because up until this point, this child's been more of an inconvenience to me than a person. Been more of a problem than something I should give thanks to God for. And I felt like in this moment, God used this to shake me, to wake me up, and say, it's not about you. This is not about you. I have built my life in so many areas to make it about me. And here I was looking at this precious gift from God as an inconvenience, as a problem, and as a chain on my freedom. And God broke me. And He got my attention in that moment. And I thought, how gracious and merciful of God that he would, be the, he would be the one at the fork in the road of saying, build your kingdom or build my kingdom. He would say, this is the way to life. This is the way of life. It's not about you. It's not about your purposes. It's about the Lord and his ways and his truth and the way in which he is redeeming the world for himself. And the cross is such good news for me because in my selfishness, in my foolishness, in my stupidity, I find a Savior with His arms open wide bringing me home to be with Him. And I don't deserve any of it. And I want us this morning as we look As we close, I want us to see the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ that meets us right where we're at. Whether your marriage is broken because of your sin, because of your anger, whether you're caught in addictions, whether you're a thief, whether you look at pornography all the time, whether you've been unfaithful to your spouse, whether you resent your children, whether you've been, you've been apathetic towards the Lord, there stands a Savior yet with His arms open wide, able to extend mercy and grace to you right where you're at just like He's done for me. Just like He's done for me over and over and over again. And I want for us, for me, to be the people of God who continue to run back to Him over and over and over again. That the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ wasn't just for the day that we came to salvation, but a daily experience of our walk. That that is our testimony. That is our truth. Daily we run to the Savior. He is our hope.
We're going to close with communion. And this is a great opportunity for us to go back to the Savior. To be reminded that His body was broken for us. That in my sin and that in my rebellion, I could receive forgiveness. That He invites us back to table fellowship. He invites us back to relationship. He doesn't keep us at a distance because He's angry and upset and just wants to flex His muscle a little bit. He is kind and gracious to us. He is that fork in the road, but He is the one saying, go this way. Turn to me. I have the, I have the gift of life and forgiveness and mercy. Cameron's going to play a song as we distribute the elements and then we'll take communion together. But I want for each one of us to examine our hearts. Maybe this is an opportunity for you if you have never met the Savior to turn to Him this morning with all your mess, with all your sin, lay it at His feet and ask Him to forgive and to cleanse, to wash over you. Maybe for others, this is an opportunity for that sin that seems to not, you can never shake, to lay that at His feet. Ask Him for mercy and grace again. Maybe for others, it's just a general apathy towards God. If you sit in church, hear the songs, hear the message, and you walk out the door and it means absolutely nothing. I want to encourage you to run to Jesus this morning and ask Him to change our hearts. Ask Him to meet us right where we're at. Change us. And then we'll take the elements together.